Welcome to the Change Something Podcast, where we recognize that we all have 168 hours in one week. How will you leverage it? How will you use it not only for your own good, but for the good of your city? On this podcast, we'll speak with psychologists, chiropractors, teachers, truckers, first responders, writers, and all sorts of professionals every month for 15 minutes or less to provide tools and tips to not only better your life, but to help you participate in the good of your city. My name is John Ju, and I'm glad that you are joining us. Today, I have a special guest with me in our two-part mini-series where we explore how two people are using their gifts for the good of the deaf community. Part two will be released next week. But this week, my guest is Jiyoungju. She is not only deaf, but she's a teacher for the deaf in Boston, Massachusetts. Since this is a podcast and it does not allow for Jiyoung to use her native language, which is American Sign Language, the voice you will now be hearing with Jiyoung's permission is Jiyoung's interpreter, Heather Hansen, who will also be our guest next week. So the National Institute of Deafness states that about two to three out of every 1,000 children in the United States are born with a detectable level of hearing loss in one or both ears, while more than 90% of deaf children are born to hearing parents. Before we dive into how you would encourage our listeners and readers, and before you provide a tip, can you tell us what was it like growing up as a deaf child? What was the hardest to take? What components of deaf culture did you enjoy the most? Growing up as a deaf person, it wasn't easy because I knew I was different. I couldn't hear Mm -hmm. and I knew I was missing information. Yeah, I can't even imagine what that would have been like. Yeah, really my family is hearing and I'm Mm -hmm. the only deaf person. And I was the first deaf person that my family had met. So they were unaware of how to interact with me as well. I really didn't understand it until I met someone in college who was like me. And I really didn't find anyone who was similar and, um, until that moment. If I had to pick something uh, that I mostly enjoy, it would be American Sign Language. That's because I'm able to meet people, interact with them, and be able to communicate mm-hmm. through ASL. There's no limitations. I can express myself in any way, shape, or form completely naturally. So what was it like feeling like there was no one else who was like you, especially as an adolescent? That must have been really hard. Yeah, it was really hard. Um, I must admit, even though my family was great and they were willing to learn sign language so that we could communicate, but I still knew having my deafness did set me apart from them. How did you know that you were different? Was there something that happened or did you know that intuitively? I'm really not sure, um, but I think I've just always known that I've been different. A lot of things were subtle. For example, like how to communicate differently um, by signing and not speaking and how other people would react to deaf people and how they're communicating with Mm. each other. Um, You know, our family went to church every week and I noticed that families sang and prayed with a lot of emotions and I didn't understand why or what was happening, but I knew something was happening. So really in that way, uh, a lot of things became intuitive. So in many ways, the one place where you're supposed to find refuge and strength like a church at a young age caused you to even be more confused and alienated. Yeah, of course. Obviously, a lot of people don't realize it, whether me or someone else explains deaf culture to someone. But if you don't think about it, there are many places and products that are actually designed for hearing people. Sure. And so by hearing, I mean they have full auditory access as opposed to people in the deaf community who do not. 
but it's natural to think about your needs, whether you're deaf or hearing. It is hard to place each other in other people's shoes and experience how other people experience the world, especially if we never fully experience what it was like to be deaf or to be different. Yeah, I don't think many people ever think about the deaf experiences inside of a hearing church or in hearing spaces in general. I mean, so much of what is done at a traditional church, quote unquote, is auditory. Uh, Can you unpack for us what you mean by designed for hearing? How is that commonplace? Is it just that hearing people just don't notice? Yeah, if I could take a moment to share an example that I think may be helpful to understand where I'm coming from. A previous teacher shared this experience with me in college. Okay. So they were driving to work. They were on the highway and it was terrible traffic. So they were arriving late to work. So finally, once they got there, they went up to their coworker and said, oh, traffic's so terrible. Yeah. And the coworker said, well... Um, I avoided the entire traffic because I heard it on the radio. Sure. But as a deaf person, I don't have access to that. So I was stuck in traffic the whole time. So that's a moment of that hearing person didn't even think Mm. about that something that that deaf person would never be able to take advantage of. Yeah. So much traditional information is passed through auditory means. I mean, radio, music, which has culture embedded in it, and even the need for deaf people to have, for example, light to be able to communicate via ASL. Yes, absolutely. There's actually something called deaf space. Okay. That's more of a recent development in the community. So we use this term to explain to hearing people that we do have space that works for deaf people. That's interesting. So what is deaf space exactly? Is there a keyword that a person can put into Google to find more more about this space? Yeah, you can just go ahead and Google deaf space. Deaf space is a place that's designed for and accommodated to deaf people and their needs to make their life better. Well, that's great. Uh, Part of this podcast's aim is to have exactly these types of conversations to help all of us look at the world through a different prism and lens, to see that we live in this world and community together and understand that what's quote unquote normal is actually sometimes not normal for many others like our deaf community. So thanks for sharing about deaf space. I'll definitely need to look into that more. So on July 19, 2010, the International Congress on the Education of the Deaf opened its 21st Congress with a historic announcement that it formally rejects the resolutions passed at its 1880 Milan Congress, which banned the use of sign language and the education of the deaf. And that was only 10 years ago. But more shocking and mentioned before, although there's more than 90% of deaf children born to hearing parents, 88% of those parents do not know sign language. How do you process the fact that it was not until 10 years ago that ICE formally rejected its resolution in 1880? And also, how do you process the fact that 88% of deaf parents don't know sign language? Right. This is true. More than 90% of deaf children are born to hearing parents. And often the first deaf person they meet is their child Mm. and they don't know what to do. They're confused and stunned. And maybe some people never meet successful deaf people. Obviously, I understand that their world is completely hearing. And then all of a sudden you're handed a deaf baby. And so that can be heartbreaking. Absolutely. But for me, the hardest thing to understand is why parents don't choose to learn sign language. That's a Mm. difficult part for me. Don't you want to communicate with your child? It's a very natural way to want to interact with them. 
Yeah, so help me understand this. Why are the statistics so high? I mean, is it because there was a cultural wave that said that we want our deaf kids to be auditory, stemming from the 1880s resolution? Well, there are many different factors. Immigration, education, religion, financial backgrounds, biases as well. There's so many things. Yeah. Hearing community really wants to fix their deaf child because it wants to fit into their world. But in the end, um, deaf children being fixed to become hearing is impossible. I mean, how can you fix something that's not broken? So I definitely want to go back and touch later upon our time what you meant by, hey, it's impossible to fix something that's not broken. But before we get to that part of the conversation, do you know what percentage of deaf kids have immigrant parents? Immigration is more like when parents move here to America because they want a better life for their child. And so they just prioritize English. Okay. English is a priority, and that just takes priority over American Sign Language. So they then make a choice to learn English. Sure. Um, a lot of it depends on – families depend on money issues. They need to be able to survive. And so where to prioritize that? Uh, obviously, food and basic needs, food, shelter, security come first. And that needs to be done in order to survive. I assume that you have a lot of conversations with your students about the loss that they feel about not being able to communicate with their parents. How do you help them navigate this challenge? We do go ahead and have conversations about it. I feel that it's crucial for them to understand that they are deaf and their family is hearing. If they're able to understand the concept, it's going to help them understand why their languages are so different from their parents and why they can't communicate with them. So I try to let them know it's important to embrace their deaf identity, Mm -hmm. and um, that will help them understand and encourage uh, the challenges that they will face better. So what do you mean by deaf identity? Is that a term that is used within the deaf community? Yeah, it's really very common in my community. We take a lot of pride in it. It's something that helps us really feel whole Mm. and not um, pieced out. Without the deaf identity, it means that nothing's wrong with us. Uh, It just means that I don't necessarily fit into your world, but the world um, could fit to me. No, that makes sense. Especially if all of your life you feel like something is missing. It's a rallying phrase that helps the deaf community come together. Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. What is one practical tip that you would offer a listener or reader in light of the academic research that continues to validate the fact that the most accurate predictor of academic achievement appears to be early intervention, regardless of whether parents choose sign language or favor another approach to making communication accessible to their kids? That's a good question. Um, I would advise them to go ahead and learn sign language no matter what. Because learning sign language is not harmful, and it never will be. Hmm. After all, it is an official recognized language. I believe that deaf children should learn a language that is fully accessible to them. For deaf children, that is sign language. If there is an official language which provides full accessibility to deaf children, then why would you take that away from them? Do you find that a lot of parents just simply don't know what to do and choose not to do anything, feeling almost paralyzed? Of course. You know, how would you feel when we have two separate worlds and it's not necessarily with my ch- the same as my child's? How do you make sense of that? Mm. And what world they know you never knew and how can you share that with them? When so much of the world is auditory, it's hard. It's a hard road to navigate. Yeah, because you've shared uh, this with me before that there are students who come to you, even in later elementary, who don't have any language, ASL or otherwise, 
I mean, that must be just really hard for not only the kid, but also the family and also you as a teacher. Yes, yes. You know, that's why I feel early intervention must happen so often. It's a place where parents find out that their child is deaf is at the hospital. Sure. So to think about it, you know, hearing people view deafness as a medical term or a diagnosis, hospitals have a lot of power with parents and decision-making practices. So you don't even, you know, tell them to say, go out and meet deaf people or here are some successful deaf people to influence them. And often they don't uh, think about the linguistic view or how deaf children can learn their own language. So this goes back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier, that there is an ongoing debate, though, in deaf culture where medical intervention or cochlear implant, for example, are looked down upon or seen as negative things. Can you explain that a little bit? Yes, this is true. It's a little difficult to explain in a brief (laughs) amount of time, but um, there are two groups that have very different beliefs. So we call one group the medical community, and the other one where I am um, is the linguistic minority group. Okay. Our community doesn't feel like cochlear implants is not a cure. It's just a tool that can help navigate the hearing world better. While the other group, the medical community, firmly believes that the hearing loss can be fixed both physically and philosophically. So in that sense, our community sees our hearing loss as a small part of the whole, while the other part sees it as the entire identity or a much larger part of it. Yeah, that's so interesting. In some ways, the debate is around the fact that CI and other auditory measures feel like what hearing culture is imposing upon deaf culture, that hearing, again, is, quote unquote, the normal thing. Yes, So the deaf education history in America is complicated. And although the first deaf school was founded by a man named Louis Clerc, a Frenchman who was deaf, and Thomas Gallaudet, a Yankee congregational minister who was hearing in 1817, about 60 years later in 1880, as we mentioned earlier, Alexander Graham Bell, the inventor of the telephone, and other hearing people thought that they knew what was best for deaf people and strongly advocated the suppression of sign language usage inside and outside of the classroom. And it wasn't until the 1960s, because of a man named William Stoke, who taught at Gallaudet, he proved that American sign language had consistent form and structure and should fall under the traditional definition of language, where ASL was officially recognized So in light of this abbreviated history, I mean, what tip would you offer someone who wants to advocate on the behalf of deaf and hard of hearing people? So before I go on, there's one, there's one part I want to say. It's important that you always ask a deaf person before you just assume. It's better to just ask us directly what we need. We know what's best. Yeah. So sharing information about the deaf community and ASL is extremely helpful. Many people don't know that the deaf community even exists in its complexity. I feel that when we share our needs and wants, it would help people advocate on our behalf better. The deaf community needs more exposure. Can you share just maybe one story about how you have advocated on the behalf of the deaf community? I think that might be a helpful example of how our listeners or readers might help participate. So right now we're all quarantined. (laughs) Sure. So many of us rely on social media. And deaf people are not getting full access to social media. So Instagram Live, Facebook Live, YouTube, all of those platforms are based off of auditory capabilities. So right now we're advocating for ourselves by asking people to caption their work. 
Yeah, no, that's a great example, right? Again, just hearing people just don't think about that. And because of my relationship with you, even as I launched this podcast, I've started to transcribe all of the podcasts into Word format. Yes, thank you for doing that. It is very informative and it helps us understand what's happening in the world so that we can be supportive to the world as well. Of course. And it's crazy to think that up until closed captions, there simply was no way for deaf people to access videos, programs, and information that might be traditionally auditory. Right. And now take that and add what it's like for a deaf child to not receive access to education and language and their culture. Yeah. The fact that American Sign Language wasn't recognized until the 1960s is definitely a topic for another interview. So we're going to definitely need to have you come back. Yes, of course. I'd be happy to come back and talk. Uh, well, Jiyoung Ju, thank you so much for your time on this podcast and your flexibility in allowing us to transcribe your words and showing us another perspective about how to be good for our cities and our communities. We really do applaud your work in the deaf classroom. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to share. The deaf and hearing community has an amazing opportunity to continue to work at being allies. Do you create online content? What if you captioned it? Do you work in architecture and have the ability to become an advocate for deaf space? What if we not only began to become more intentional in understanding a wider scope of people's worldviews, but became a part of the change? Let's be the good. Let's go change something.